Hi, I'm Michelle Fiordaliso, co-host of The When Is Now. Zora Alunga-Reed is on hiatus working for Rock the Vote until the election. On today's episode, I speak to Michelle Lynch. After 25 years as a Broadway dancer and choreographer, Michelle earned her master's degree in depth psychology with an emphasis on somatic studies and dream work. Using tools she cultivated in dance and a specialization in nighttime dreams, she helps clients connect, heal, and find their purpose. Hello, we have Michelle Lynch with us today, and I want to welcome you to the show, Michelle. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. So tell us a little bit about your early career. Ah, my early career was as a professional dancer who ventured afterwards into choreography. And that spent a great number of years of my life. And I started in LA and made my way to New York City and big dreams of Broadway, did Broadway as a dancer and then as an assistant choreographer and then as a choreographer. And now I find myself back on the West Coast. Fantastic. And so for our listeners, we're we're not becoming a little uh, Broadway niche show here, even though we have had two two weeks in a row, we've had Broadway performers with us, but you know, Broadway is near <laughs> and that. dear to my heart. So, but what is what is more interesting to me than performing on Broadway is what evolves out of that. And similar to David, who was on the show last week, and if you didn't watch it, that's a great episode to watch. Michelle Lynch was a dancer on Broadway and a choreographer, and then she made a career switch and. What I think is so interesting about that before she tells you about it is that we used to kind of believe that you kind of figured out what your job was going to be and then you just stuck to it. And what I'm finding and what we're learning in the when is now is that as people get to know themselves better, they are pivoting and they're turning and they're deciding that they want to do different things. And so tell us about what shifted for you. Mm. Such a great question. I think what shifted for me was doing inner work and getting to know myself better and healing old wounds and patterns and how much of that was tied into my drive to succeed. And that when I stripped sort of that need away and went to the core of my love for dance and my love for choreography, I realized I also had other loves. I had love for psychology, this great, you know, I've always been a seeker and spirituality, and I just wanted to expand my horizons. And so I found myself uh, without really thinking, just sort of, I always say, I don't know who got me there, but I ended up in grad school for depth psychology, which is the depth of our uh, unconscious self. So our conscious self is what most psychology deals with. And this goes under the surface, which tied in very closely to choreography and dance. Because in our depths is where, well, in our depths is where creativity comes from. You know, we rarely think creatively with our, right? We start with our minds, but then it expands to something bigger and beyond ourselves. You know, when you're in that creative zone, it's almost like something else is coming through you. And so that's where, you know, creativity lives through the unconscious, all of our unspoken, the collective unconscious that we all share, just this our, our spirituality, uh, anything bigger than ourselves and our small minds is the scope of great genius chore- uh, creativity and ideas and uh, expansion. And so the, the schooling went hand in hand with 
my choreography, my first class was a depth psychology. What is depth psychology? And he sort of laid it all out. And I went up to the professor afterwards and I said, I think I'm a depth psychologist just by being a choreographer. And he said, you got it. That's exactly it. So a depth psychologist is really anyone who explores below the surface. So anyone who is creative is a depth psychologist. Anyone who dreams is a depth psychologist. Anyone who works with their body is a depth psychologist because those are the three places where the unconscious lives and is expressed through our body, through creativity and through dreams. Those places that we don't tap easily with our conscious mind. Well, I love that. And I, I, I learned something in the last year that was so fascinating to me, which, which is that a lot of the greatest discoveries we've had in science um, uh, have come to, to the person as an intuition. And then the research only confirmed what came to them, whether it was in a dream or whether it was just in an inner knowing. And then they went and researched that plant that they had dreamed about, for example, and found out that it did hold the cure to whatever they were trying to find a cure for. In fact, even Nikola Tesla, you know, who we've named this company after, said that if you don't explore these other realms that, uh, you know, that you're really operating with a tiny percentage of what's available to us. So I know that you do dream work. In fact, I have done dream work with you and it's been really transformative for me. And so I wanted you to talk about dreams a little bit and why dreams are so interesting to you. Yeah, I think they tie into why they're interesting to me ties into exactly what you were saying about Nikola Tesla. It's like expanding this uh, perception of life and myself and beyond. And so I think I've expanded my consciousness and and um, opened up to a whole new world of infinite possibilities that are out there for us to play with, explore. And not only that, I feel like dreams are linked to, to clearing away all our stuff in our conscious life. They give us answers we need to know. So for me, I've done huge amounts of like just clearing some stuff, uh, behaviors, patterns that maybe I don't didn't want to continue through my dreams, giving me insights. And so um, I love them for their healing abilities. I love them for their creativity. I love them for their expansiveness. And I feel like they've taught me how to understand the universe and how to understand uh, life. So I think, you know, I've, I know I've said this to you before, but for me, there's a couple of kinds of dreams. One is I call it a drier lint dream. It's like stuff that collected through the day. Um, you know, maybe you looked at a text right before you went to sleep or you're worried about something you have to do in the morning. And so the dream is sort of residual gunk from the day, but then there's, there are these dreams that kind of nudge us like pay attention. And, and I know for me by doing a uh, dream work with you and I'll, I'll have you tell people what dream work is to you, because I think you do a very specific kind of dream work, that that doing the dream work is almost like, uh, that, that, that the dream is almost like the trailer of a movie. It's meant to get your attention and, and say, you got to look deeper here. And then doing the dream work is like seeing the whole movie. And I mean, I know now having done dream work with you that I, you know, if I use that metaphor that had I only seen the trailer of some of my favorite movies, I would have missed so much. And so I thought maybe you can tell us what what is dream work or what is dream work for you? 
and and what's available as people kind of do this kind of work. Mm, I love that uh, movie trailer analogy because when you don't see the movie, you miss the experience and the journey and the transformation, right? So I love that's such a perfect analogy. So dream work for me is about getting journeying into the dream and going into it through the body and create and creatively and using elements available to us, using everything available to us. So sort of taking the dream from our unconscious and, and, and making it conscious through different modalities and the body being one of the best ones, because I always say that our body is the, is the witness when we dream. Like when you have a nightmare and you wake up and your heart's pounding and you're like, it feels real. It feel, I mean, I'm, I know most people have had dreams where it felt like it really happened. It's so real. And that's your body responding like it was real. So time is different in dreams, but the body's living it in real time. And we're dreaming in a, a different time. Dreams carry a different time vibration. So bringing the dream forward through the body allows it allows the memory to open up to the whole dream beyond the trailer. And it also allows the innate intuitive wisdom of the body to give you messaging that perhaps your mind would not come up with because the body speaks the same language as the dream. The body speaks through. So what uh, does that mean exactly to work the dream through your body? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, in my dream work, we'll usually meditate into what I call a dream state. So we'll just lower our conscious self down to more closer to a theta state. So just meditate down a bit and then have the dreamer talk us through the dream. And so everyone in the dream work group is there listening and we are also dropped in our bodies. And so the, the part of us that communicates unspoken to each other without words is communicating already, even via Zoom. And we are all in the dreamer's dream together. And as you journey through your dream with the lens of the body and the group holding it, different insights emerge and different things come up and other people are getting intuitive hits and sharing that work. And you're able to get a broader perspective of perhaps insights the dream wanted you to know. Okay, so you're saying that when you do... Uh, when you do dream work, often it's in a group mm-hmm. and then other people will be sort of tapping into their intuitive knowing about your dream and vice versa. Yes. I mean, I remember yes. I took early in the quarantine, I took a dream work class with you. And I remember that we had to submit a drawing of a dream. And there was a man in the class who had had a very similar drawing. And it sort of confirmed this notion that there is a collective conscience. There is a, a place where we are all connected in some sort of quantum field. And That's do right. you discover that a lot of times when, you know, when you're leading a group of people that they sort of can understand something about each other's dreams that goes deeper than what that person could have understood for themselves? Oh my gosh. Yes. That has been my biggest uh, discovery to witness it because I, in, you know, in grad school, you know, Carl Jung, we learned that he would talk about dreams tap into the collective unconscious, the space we all share. Um, And it's a sort of hard concept to grasp just through the mind. But when you experience it in dreams and you see that 
something like that, you guys both brought forth a similar image. There were often similar themes running throughout all of your dreams. And as I've held other work, uh, dream work groups, they also have similar themes that run between them. And they're always amazed as a group about what comes up. And I also feel too that so often the people who are brought together in the dream workshop are sort of organized from a higher lens and brought together to share that space. I know that there have been a lot of people, I remember there being articles at the beginning of the pandemic being talking about how uh, a lot of people were having similar dreams. And I know there was one mention of dreams about insects. And I know I had a, a very vivid dream about kind of an army of ants. And, um, and I was wondering if you found that if the quality of people's uh, dreams are changing during this time, because we're in such extraordinary circumstances, and how you've come to understand that. Mm, such a good question. Yes. So tons of insect dreams, tons of nightmares have come forward. And what the pandemic did to, to, I would say, most of the population, most of the world, is it triggered our reptilian brain, which is our survival instincts, because we were all of a sudden put into a place of not feeling safe and so much unknown. So everyone has this the reptilian brain, the smallest part of us still, but it still gets activated by our very core and primal wounds. So a lot of people, the insects are part of that reptilian lineage. So they are coming forth in the dreams. They are coming forth to clear, to help guide you through these beliefs, to, uh, to guide you to primal ways of functioning during this time. And it also triggers so many people's core wounding that hadn't been healed from childhood. Anytime they felt unsafe as a child, anytime they felt threatened, anytime they felt scared that wasn't resolved, this is triggering our reptilian brain and bringing up all those memories, which is coming through as nightmares. Okay. So you're saying that all of the uncertainty that we're dealing with in the world and the fear around the pandemic and the fear around the political climate and all of that is actually reactivating unresolved trauma from people's pasts, which is then resulting in these dreams of insects and nightmares. Michelle, you always have such a beautiful way of explaining and breaking down what I do succinctly. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> so, and when, when these dreams surface, you know, particularly, I mean, I know a lot of people that have told me they've had the same recurring dream for their entire life. What do they want from us? You know, what is mm. it? Why do we keep having the same dream or, uh, or why do we have a nightmare or mm-hmm. why does our subconscious do that? I liken those to someone knocking at your door and they're going to knock and they're going to knock and they're going to knock until you open that door and see what's there. Reoccurring dreams want your attention. There's something that needs to be resolved. And I have- Sounds like my son when he wants the new phone. (laughs) Okay. So say somebody has this kind of dream that is clearly knocking and knocking and wants them to pay attention. Then what do they do? So now they've listened to the podcast and they said, oh, I've got one of those dreams. You mean it wasn't just because I'm I'm anxious about school, even though I'm 65 years old and I haven't been in a classroom for 40 years. What do they do now? Your example is helpful because so say their dream brings up anxiety or anxiousness. 
So they would go to that feeling in the body, wherever it is, and they would tap into the feeling and essence of the dream rather than the literal images. And that feeling is your link to what needs to be held and cleared and what needs your attention. And that's going to look differently for everyone. So it's sort of hard to go further than that, but it's really about identifying what the feeling is, finding out where that is in you and what needs your attention around it. Does that make sense? And that does make sense. Is there a story that stands out in your mind of, you know, whether it was for you or somebody that you worked with that was a really remarkable dream story uh, that they believe their dream was about one thing. And then after working it through, they discovered something else entirely that really opened up something for them that they mm. could have never gotten from just accepting the dream at face value. Beautiful, beautiful question. The one that comes to mind is one of the first dreams I worked with and it was working with a dancer and she had had a recurring nightmare since she was eight and she was in her twenties and we were in New York city and she really, she knew I was studying dream work. And so I was still very new at it, even though I was working with a dream therapist and I had all my schooling. And so this was new for me, but then later on I did the same process with others and the same results happened. But so we went into a studio and we danced her nightmare. So she took, there were two characters in her nightmare and she took one of them and danced it fully, which was the character she played of herself. And she danced it fully. And in the nightmare, she was being uh, chased by this uh, horrible, scary woman that just, you know, it was life or death. Um, and I invited her to drop into and embody that woman in the dream. And she, uh, was so scared to do it because she didn't want to become this ugly person. She didn't want to even put that energy in her body. And we sat and talked about it and the energy was already in her body and wanted to be expressed. And she did feel once we talked about that, that was the right thing too. So she got up and I could feel the energy in the room. It was, it was a scary energy. And she started moving this woman and she started moving her. And this movement came out of her that, you know, was just driven by this dream. And after about two minutes, she stopped and she's like, that was really intense. That was really intense, but I know there's more. So then we alchemized the two. We put the, her and the person stalking her of the dream together and made a dance out of it. And so she combined the two. She did a little bit of her. She did a little bit of the woman stalking her. Combined, combined until they became one. And this dance came out of it. And this the movement of the dance, which was so harsh and strong and hiding and shaking moved into this flow this balletic beautiful flow where she took up the space of the whole room and her heart opened up and afterwards she sat on the floor and she said it's about love it's about love and it was such a profound moment because it's what Carl Jung talks about the tension of opposites you know if you have this extreme nightmare the other has to be true as well which is holding that other emotion, which would be love. And you can't find that other emotion until you fully express the nightmare. And once you fully express it, she went up to the love and then she found this middle ground of just beauty, alignment and peace. And it was, it was mind blowing to me and to her. She never had the nightmare since she's kept in touch with me. The nightmare that she has since she was eight has not reoccurred. Wow, that's amazing. Um, amazing. And then I yeah. went and worked with a group of dancers at a school and I worked with three nightmares and the same thing happened. And then working with one-on-one clients. When so they once they up, work the nightmare, it goes away. Once you work the core feeling, 
the core feeling is what needs to be seen, heard, expressed, felt. It's a feeling usually that has been suppressed, gone down to the unconscious and hid because it's too painful to feel. But if you hold it in a safe, loving environment and stay out of any story, which is why dreams are so good, because they give you another story to play with. So you don't latch onto your human conscious story that keeps us in a loop. You're able to go to another story so that you can detach a bit, see it for what it is and feel the emotion without attaching a looping story to it. And so what do you think that she learned about love from integrating these two opposites, the chaste and the chaser? She said that the feeling was the woman who was chasing her actually had so much love for her, but she didn't stop to see it. She had put a story around it. She had put fear around love. It was all her fears around love is what she came out with. And that when she really just faced the fear, literally put it in her body and moved it and danced it, she found love and her heart open. I mean, as human beings, I think that it seems illogical, but most of us are so accustomed to rejection and abandonment that the notion of being loved is far more frightening and the vulnerability attached to being loved is far more frightening than not getting or not having or not being loved. So Again, Michelle, beautifully, beautifully summed up. Beautiful. I Speaking of opposites, one of the things that I think that's been so interesting that uh, my mind is sort of wired to see patterns, and I've been noticing that a lot of the people that have been on the show made a change in their career, and, and partly we've sort of, or made a change in their life, And partly we have been sort of attracting those stories because we find them interesting here about what makes you switch. But but what is evolving out of this narrative is that it it wasn't just I stopped being interested in dance, let's say, in your case, and I started being interested in dreams. It's that that dance work, that time that you spent dancing really informed this next step in your life. And so... Uh, And I've noticed that, you know, for example, you know, we had Fritzi Horstman on the show and she worked in as a television and film producer. And then now she's transforming the prison systems through a not-for-profit. But one of the things that was so critical to her was that she, um, she made this documentary short that went viral. And had she not had that history in film and television, I don't know that she would have made such a powerful six minute film that moved 3 million people. And so I'm just sort of, as I go back to thinking of your dream and about opposites coming together, kind of how you make sense of how the history with dance informed this work and then how this work informs, you know, cause you still work as a choreographer, how it sort of spirals back and forth and informs each other. Because I don't think that we ever abandon something. I think we we bring it forward in some way. Yeah, love that. Again, beautifully said. Yes, I think I don't, I know that I would not be able to understand dreams like I do without my dance and choreography background. All of that knowledge is what enables me to connect so deeply into my body to connect, which connects me to the dream and in a way that gets so that I can get so out of my mind and that I can see it from a different lens. And I also know that choreography, especially choreographing musicals 
is like a dream. It's telling a story and getting into who these people are. And then we uncover their unconscious throughout the dream, what their blocks are, and then there's a resolution. So it's sort of, I almost sort of learned the patterning of dreams by working on musicals. And then it's what storytelling, you know, is so, why storytelling is so important in our lives, because they give us a deeper insight into who we really are. And that's what dreams really are, is a different story to take us further on our life journey. And so choreography and dreams only help propel my dream work. And I feel that I've tapped into a different place when I choreograph by opening up to my dreams and trusting my intuition and what comes forward and staying out of my mind more where before I definitely approached my choreography with a critical mind. And now I've approached my choreography with a trust in the process and my body and the unconscious and that what wants to come forth and be expressed will. So do you think your choreography has changed because of doing dream work? I think my process around it has changed. I feel that I trust my first instinct more. It's easier, it's more enjoyable because I'm not inviting in all my conscious stuff and blocks and judgments and fears that used to accompany my creativity. I know that we've spoken about this, but I was I was sort of fascinated when I learned about the Sanoi people of Malaysia and they are the only people in the world that don't have mental illness. And what differentiates them from other people in the world is that they actively work on a daily basis with their dreams. And I found that so fascinating that dream work is really the key to, to not having mental illness. And so I, I wanted to ask you, because you've worked with dreams, you know, way more than the average person has both with clients and and in your own life, you know, how could that be? Why are dreams so powerful? Mm. Well, dreams are our link to the unconscious self. And the unconscious self is where, you know, a lot of our unprocessed mental stuff goes. So people who say have mental illness is often twofold. One is it's unresolved, a lot of mental stuff that they never dealt with. And two, it's they actually probably are tapped into a dream life and and tapped into an collective unconscious and are often getting downloads of so much information that it makes them what we term schizophrenic or multiple personalities. Because in those indigenous cultures, like the one you mentioned, people who have those mental what we would diagnose as mental illness are often the healers and leaders and work with dreams because they're actually tapped into a deeper place. So that's part of it. And then I think the other part of it is the the dreams bring forth our stuff that need to be resolved. And if we don't get them resolved, our, our minds get cluttered with a lot of stuff. And the thing is we spend, you know, so many of our nights dreaming. And if we don't talk about them, it's almost equal to not talking or working with your stuff. It's like, we're just ignoring. It becomes a shadow, which is why it's called the shadow. It's because it's become stuff that's just not dealt with. And it's, and it's tossed aside like, Oh, it's just a dream. Oh, that doesn't mean anything. And yet right. that's where the riches are. That's where the genius creativity is. That's where the discoveries that, Dick, you know, Tesla comes up with. That's where Einstein came up with stuff. Like that's our tapping into the infinite intelligence of the universe. And we just bury, bury, bury and ignore, ignore, ignore. And so 
it makes sense that talking about the dreams as a culture would clear that mental illness. Right. Okay. So if, so let's just say a listener is feeling like I'm willing to accept that I've been untapping so much potential by not taking a deeper look into my dream. Where do they start? I would first recommend writing it down. Great question. Write down your dreams. If you have a friend or a group of friends, start sharing them. And then if you feel you want to go further, try putting them on your feet or, you know, that to, when I say print them on the feet and dance them, it's akin to drawing them. It's, it's any way of expressing it through your body. I have one client I'm working with who expresses it through music. I have someone who expresses it through artwork or storytelling. So however it comes through your body and out into the world is a great way, another level to work with your dreams. And then if they want to go further, then come and do a dream workshop. <laughs> Just to have someone holding a space right, and guiding them through. <laughs> if they want to do a dream workshop, how do they find you? They can go to my website, michellelynchhealing.com, michelle1l. And I usually post about the upcoming workshops there. I don't have one on the calendar, but there is one in the mix. And I'm going to do a basic one like you did, Michelle, coming up. And then I'm going to add one in the new year. But I think people should have the basic workshop class first to do one that's just about creativity and make it a six-week workshop and really see what gets creative if that's really the focus for six weeks. And since you've worked with so many people in their dreams, what opens up in their lives as they start to do this kind of work? (gasps) Oh, that's such a good question. I've never been asked that. What opens up is trusting their intuition because we're all intuitive. We're all instinctual. Our body only knows the truth and can warn us of danger, like can see behind us. And so starting to trust the body and your intuition is what I have seen over and over open up. That's awesome. I think we all need to trust our intuition more and to Mm -hmm. not second guess and doubt ourselves. Thank you so much for being with us today. I'm really grateful for this conversation and for you. Oh, Michelle, my pleasure. Same thing. And thank you for always doing such a great job of holding such beautiful space and then reframing it into such a concise, accessible language. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) The When Is Now is co-hosted by Michelle Fjordaliso and Zora Alunga-Reed. It's produced in Los Angeles, California by Jack Sager. For more information on the free 21-day coaching program, or for complete show notes, visit thewhenisnow.com. Thank you for listening, and remember, the when is now.